Alright, so the tea thing is called Faith Trumps Giftings Part 5. Perseverance is the key. So, will somebody please open us up in prayer? Tommy? Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you today and we thank you for this day. We ask that you just give us a word and open our hearts for this message, Heavenly Father. I just ask that you just keep us focused on you and the task that you have for us, Lord. And just bless that and bless this ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, we've been talking about all kinds of things, man. Um, one of the things we talked about was, I mean, what started this out was faith trumps giftings. You know, we noticed that Jesus doesn't teach about um, giftings uh, coming. They, that people do certain things like miracles because of their giftings. That is mainly, uh, he teaches mainly about faith. Um, the last time we talked, we talked about, <clears throat> um, we talked about God's will. And... Uh, we, we talked about pretty much how the, the will of God is, is not a reason for why people get healed and don't get healed. Um, one major thing that I pointed out was that when, uh, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, there was not one instance in all four Gospels that Jesus ever told somebody that someone got healed or they didn't get healed because of the will of God. Okay? Um, there's only one instance, and it was, I believe, that Google corrected me, and it was Mark, um, the Gospel of Mark, that says, uh, the, the leper comes up to him and says, if you are willing, please heal me. And he says, I do will. Right? So that's the only time we ever see something like that. Um, is that a, a strong enough case to determine whether that's always God's will to heal? I don't know if that one exact verse is enough to say that it's always God's will to heal um, because it's just one verse right I like to use all the scripture now do I believe God's will to heal every time absolutely because I have a ton of verses that, that show that but that one scripture I'm, well, my point is this you can never use use one scripture if you just use one scripture to try to back something up it's not always good because you need it's it's a uh, someone may want to interpret it a different way it's better to always um, use scriptures in context it's always better to use multiple scriptures um, and multiple occasions to talk about um, a certain a certain thought process. So, for instance, um, the timing issue. You know what I mean? Everyone talked about God's timing, but nobody can really give me any scriptures to talk about God's timing. You know what I mean? I we did read two scriptures, Habakkuk, I believe. Let's go there. If the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of the end. It will not prove false, though it linger. Wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. So, um, in the English Standard Version, it says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So, we see that there's this, most of the time when people talk about God's timing, I believe it's a cop-out for believing. Okay, and they, well, it's all in God's timing. And so, a lot of times, people, they just, they kind of give up. Um... You know, when, when Hannah was sitting there at the, at the temple praying for a baby, you know, she was, she was crying and her lips were, were moving, but she was, it was inaudible speech. And Eli comes out there and thought she was drunk. And she, he's like, what are you doing, woman? Get out of here. She's like, I'm not drunk. I, you know, I'm praying earnestly. And what she was praying was for a baby, you know. Well, any good old, you know. I won't name in the denomination. <laughs> Any good old boy will go up to him and say, Oh, it's all in God's timing. No, but Eli agreed with her and believed. And then they got pregnant that year. You know? So, 
there's a my point, and then but the, the my point is we have many people talk about the timing, and this is this scripture here makes it seem like there's still the vision awaits its appointed time. So we know that there are certain things that are coming at a certain time, um, but usually those things have a word. Okay, you get a word. Remember, we can't our faith can't be built on God's timing. Our faith has to be built on God's word. Let me say that again. Our faith cannot be built on God's timing. Our faith must be built on God's word. And there were times where God would give a specific time and say, hey, it will happen in this time. But it was a word. And they got a word. And they knew the word. And they knew that it would happen in this time. Does that make sense? Um, then there's some things, you know, that Jesus talks about. For instance, he'll say, um, he'll talk about, uh, you know, there. That the, the he'll return and no one knows this is going to be like a thief in the night when he returns. Nobody's going to know that the day or the hour, only a father knows that. So, obviously, there's things like that, you know, that are destined for a specific time. But again, you got a word. We got a specific word from God saying it's going to happen like a thief in the night. And no one knows the time except for God. So, these are things that we get. We get the Holy Spirit coaches us on. You see what I'm saying? These are things we can count on. We can take to the bank. Hey, this is going to happen in a certain time. You see what I'm saying? But we got a word about it. It's not like when you go pray for somebody and they're not getting healed and then you just throw out there, oh, it's all in God's timing. It's not like that. You need to pray and hear God. If God says, you know what, it's not time yet, well, then you know it's not time. But then we also see instances in faith like Mary. When, when God's timing was completely thrown in the trash, you know, when, when the mother of Jesus comes up to Jesus and Jesus is like, what do you want with me, woman? Because he's like, hey, they ran out of wine. The mother was like, hey, the, the wedding feast ran out of wine. And Jesus is like, well, what does it have to do with me, woman? And he called her woman. <laughs> and she says, he says, my time has not yet come. My time has not come. All right, now, if anyone knows the perfect timing of God, that would be Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus, now, here's what I'm trying to say. Is, God timing, is God's timing so rigorous that it derails our faith? Are we so set on a doctrine of God's timing that we lack faith now for God to move supernaturally right now simply because we have more faith in God's timing, which really means... Like when you go to your, when people say God's timing, what they really, I, I feel like most of the time they're not really believing God to answer their prayer. It's more like when you go to your mother and your father as a child and you say, hey, can we get some candy? And, and your mom and dad says, maybe. And I remember, you know, you know what that means. That means no. <laughs> right? <laughs> and they say, maybe. He's like, no. And so <laughs> it's, when people say God's timing, I think what they're really saying is maybe. Maybe. <laughs> when people so we need to ask ourselves when we say God's timing is this us throwing our hands up in, 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 in unbelief most people who talk about God's timing never talk about their unbelief 
Most people talk about God's timing. They don't talk about their faith. Jesus did not talk about God's timing very much. Let's put it this way. He did talk about God's timing, right? When he said, it's not my time. Right? When he talks about the return, when he's returning, he talks about God's timing. But some of these things are specific, right? I, I just find it interesting that when Jesus told his mother, my hour has not yet come, she just bypassed his timing, God's timing. Because, you know, Jesus is not talking about his own timing. He's talking about his father's timing. And the mother just bypasses it. Goes to the people says, hey, just do whatever he tells you to do. Next thing you know, they're turning water into wine. And then the disciples, it says the disciples started to believe in him at that point. So his time had not yet come, but their faith pushed through this restriction. I believe every time somebody gets resurrected from the dead, we are breaking God's timing. Because God's timing says that when Jesus returns, the dead will come out of the grave. So, there is a time where we will all be resurrected. You know? And, so when people get resurrected now, I believe it's we're breaking that God's timing. I don't think that there's God's timing is so rigorous that we can't tap into promises that aren't for our time. Much like Job. We figured in what? I can't remember what we said last time. So if my numbers are off, over 2,000 years before Jesus, I think it was like 2,500 years before Jesus, Job saw his Redeemer. He saw his Redeemer. And he pulled down a promise that was not for his time. He did not have the promises of, of Moses. He, was probably, he probably predates the flood. And... If if he's a if he's a if he's a real character, I mean I'm not I'm going to say this right now for scholarly purposes. I believe Job was a real person, personally, but it's possible that Job was not a real person. Okay, uh, if you do go through a biblical scholar perspective, he could have just been a story that taught about faith. Okay, but James talks about Job, you know, in the book of Gospel, the Gospel of. Of, or not the gospel, uh, the letter of James talks about Job, um, referring to him as if he's a real person. So, uh, is he a real person? Um, I don't think that's necessarily important. I think that Job teaches us some biblical principles that are off, that obviously we believe is the authoritative word of God, or would not be in our scripture. Um, but I personally believe Job's a real person. And if you do, if you do your um, you're adding up of your time frames and when a book is written and things that it talks about, um, it, it infers that it predates the flood, okay? Which means that he doesn't have the promises of Moses, all of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Um, and he doesn't have, you know what I mean? He doesn't have access to that. He definitely doesn't seem to have access to Jesus. I mean, that's, you got to go through the other covenants before you get to Jesus. They got to build on top of each other. But he said 2,000 years... If, G if Job was to be placed on a timeline, he's going to be bef over 2,000 years before Jesus. Okay? Um, the only reason, by the way, the only reason why I say Job may not be a real person is because he does not fall in any of our, any of our uh, biblical recorded lineage. But that doesn't mean somebody's not a real person. 
you're not in the lineage of the Bible and you're a real person. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> does that make sense? There's a ton of people that did not make the lineage of the Bible and they are real people. My point is you can't find him specifically in the lineage of our scriptures. And so that's why it's hard to find him. But according to, according to his context, according to even biblical scholars, they will tell you that he predates Jesus about 2,000 years. But he saw his Redeemer. 2,000 years before Jesus, he saw his Redeemer. He pulled the promise down that was not for his time. Jesus, the Redeemer, did not apply to Job. Yet Job put his faith on it and believed it and pulled it down. Okay, so that was last two lessons ago. I'm, I'm, kind of I'm doing some refreshing here because what, what I want to talk about is perseverance today. So, if we believe in God's timing over the teachings of Jesus when it talks about faith, then we will never persevere. People who believe in the timing, and that's what they bank on instead of faith and believing that what Jesus said override what the Word of God says overrides my current experience. Um, people who believe the Word of God over their current experience, they're the ones who persevere. They're the ones who press through and see miracles. People who just all of a sudden go to these three types of things, they'll say, if it be thy will, or they'll say, well, it's God's timing. Those people never really see uh, significant miracles. Okay, I'm not saying they don't see coincidences. Oftentimes those people see coincidences. But I feel like a lot of times they're, they're groping for miracles. They're looking really hard for miracles. The only time you really God gets the most glory is when you hear God, you go through impossibility, you persevere, and then the miracle happens. This is the order of God getting glory. If you if if you are throwing it up in the air and then a coincidence happens, nobody can really give God credit for that without a shadow of a doubt. That makes sense? But when you hear God, you have an impossibility, you boldly persevere and you say things that are outrageous to people and they look like you look at you like you're nuts, and then God moves, those are undeniable miracles. Nobody can argue with that. Does that make sense? So, case in point, I'm gonna go ahead and share this testimony, okay? Um I wrote the whole thing down because it's just too crazy and too amazing. Okay, and some of you guys already know the story. But this is the full details. All right, so um, January 31st, 2018, um, we had um, a major issue with our taxes. Our, our ministry, um, we have to pay payroll taxes, and every quarter, you know, we've got to match Social Security and Medicaid and things like that. And so we got to send that off to the government. So at this point, we're, we're sending about an average of $1,400 every three months, every, every three months. To the IRS um, just to pay our, you know, payroll taxes. Okay. Um, well, we had some money saved up. We had about a thousand dollars inside our taxes account, and then there was a, um, all of a sudden there was an unexpected expense for our property. We were given a property, and the property taxes were seven hundred dollars. This is an average. This is, I mean, a, a, this is a. No, I'm not giving like, I might start in this, in this testimony. I might not give exact numbers. I might give like a what do you call it, a blanket statement, right? Um, 
instead of $712, I might say $700. Make sense? All right, so just to make it simple. So $700 is the, uh, the taxes savings account um, is what we had to take out. So we started the year out in the hole. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, you know, I, I've been doing this ministry for two years. I've seen God move miraculously so many times, countless times. I, I'm having a hard time remembering all the stories. Too many miracles. All right. So we ended up having uh, this expense and I just, every time I have these big expenses, I just, I know God's going to have to provide some supernatural way. And so we wrote the check, we, we handed it in. Now for several months, um, the ministry, you know, struggled financially. Um, we squeaked by every month. Um, but like, for instance, me personally, I have not paid myself a full paycheck since February 2017. And, uh, so on February 19th, uh, February 9th this month, uh, 2018, I approached Sarah and I said, how come when uh, you took over the finances, we have not experienced any more significant financial miracles? <laughs> now, this wasn't a slam against her. We're just trying to talk about what happened. You know, I've had I've had mir miraculous stories after miraculous stories. And all of a sudden for 12 months now, I, I know that we've made it supernaturally. We couldn't have been we couldn't still be here without it being supernatural you know what i mean um and don't get me wrong i've had some personal testimonies but i'm not talking i'm talking about the ministry having i mean i've had personal ones like you know because we didn't get paid our full paycheck you know um i can't remember what month it was but it was it was last year um we had uh you know a moment where we had um where i had no money in the bank and i my car broke down and it was an alternator problem and I remember going on the back of the truck and praying and said, Lord, um, what's wrong? You know, I, you told me uh, last year when I was working over at that telecommunications company that I didn't need to have an emergency fund, that, that you were my emergency fund. And I said, well, Lord, I don't have an emergency fund anymore. It's gone. So I need you to, to pay for this part. I got to get out to Coleman. It was in, oh, it, was, it had to be in May, May of 2017. So we had some significant miracles. So this is one of them. Uh, and I said, Lord, I, I get out there and pray. And I said, uh, so then... Uh, <laughs> James comes around the truck and gives me this big old hug and I just start bawling. Right? And then I just say, well, let's go over to Advanced Auto Parts over here. I got to get an alternator um, and I'm just going to believe for God to send me my raven. You know, y'all just know the story of Elijah who gets the ravens, right? So these are some miracles we saw, but, but I'm talking about me personally, like the ministry wasn't able to pay us. So all the miracles came to me and my family. You know what I'm saying? So I, me personally, I experienced some miracles, and this is one of them. So we showed up there to the Advanced Auto Parts store. He told me it was going to be $159 or $160. And I, I said, okay, well, give me a printout. I get the printout, and I turn around, there's $150-something, $160 in my face. <laughs> and it was James. Apparently, he had spent his whole, uh, he gave me all of his uh, grocery. grocery budget. <laughs> Here's my grocery budget, you know, so that's another testimony. And then he got, you know, God provided for him, you know. And so those are those moments where, you know, I looked at him. I said, are you sure? He goes, yeah, whenever you called me, the Lord told me I was going to pay for your part no matter what it costs. It just so happened to me everything that was in his pocket, you know. <laughs> so we've had stories like that. Don't get me wrong. But on a personal level, you know, I've had many, you know, since since uh, February 2018, I've had to have a lot of personal miracles where God's provided for me supernaturally, personally, because the money wasn't coming into the ministry. Well, so I sat down with Sarah. I said, how come the ministry hasn't experienced any significant financial miracles since you started taking over the budget? 
And uh, now prior to me asking her, I prayed already. I had already asked the Lord. I said, what's the matter? And the Lord told me, he reminded me of the scripture, he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly, and he who sows bountifully reaps bountifully. And my first thought was, well, are we not giving? You know, because I'm not looking at the budget anymore, so I don't know where the money's going. I'm just trusting and I'm working. I'm doing other things now. So uh, we looked back at the budget and we realized that there's a issue here, um, that we hadn't been giving to a certain ministry in town that I had told I had said very clearly, this is what we're supposed to give, $50 a month to this certain ministry. And we hadn't been doing it for, two, for six months. Then there was another, another guy we were supposed to give $100 to that I felt, I felt very strongly we were supposed to give $100 to when they were doing a, brisk, they were doing a, a barbecue fundraiser. I said, go give a $100 check and don't take any barbecue. Well, that didn't happen. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, golly, you know. I said, uh, if we're going to believe God, we're going to have to be obedient in our giving. You know, and, you know, I had a pretty good track record of hearing God and doing crazy stuff and then God coming through. So I said, if I ask you to give something, please give. <laughs> well, uh, at this point, I said, well, so what we're going to do is we're going to exercise our faith. We, we're believing the Lord for, uh, and uh, th this money's not coming in. We need $3,000 a month extra that we're not getting right now. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and tithe that in advance right now. We're going to write a $300 check. And then, of course, I remembered about that $50 um, a month uh, ministry I was going to give to. So we wrote two checks, one for $300 and one for $50. And uh, I went to these two individuals. I, I, I said, Sarah, let's pray over the, over the money. So I prayed over the money. And then I told her, I said, you pray over the money. And then she just started crying. <laughs> we took the money down there uh, to the guys. I gave it to them. Well, on top of that, we have another missions account that we um, have been putting money aside so we can bless other ministries <clears throat> uh, and internationally, right? So there's a guy in India, and he had a, a bore well that needed to be dug, and he needed $850. So we had almost all that money saved up. We just lacked a few dollars. So we went ahead and moved what was left over, put it over there into that account, and we went to the Western Union that day, and we transferred the, the money over um, and gave the money to the guy to India for the bore well. And... So that was zapping us out. You know, we don't have any. We don't have a fallback. You know, in this other account, we we it's zero now, right? And uh, so we pray with checks, and you know, it's really an amazing thing uh, when you when you when you give because what you're doing is you're declaring that money has no control over you. You're declaring that that money money has no power. That God has all the power. And when you give, you're relinquishing its power on you. Does that make sense? And you're telling God, you are my portion. Money does not pay my bills. God pays my bills. You see what I'm saying? And so, anyway, we ended up... And it's also important not to give begrudgingly. Oh, man, I have to give this. Don't do that. You kill your faith. You don't, things don't move when you do that. Okay? <clears throat> so we gave that $350. Now, when we did that, that drained half of our operational... Um, account our, our account for operations was drained half. It only had seven hundred dollars in it. We gave three hundred fifty. It was halfway full now, right? My Sarah's looking at me. She's like, you know, we owe seven hundred dollars to the IRS. How are we going to give this money away? We we this money doesn't belong to us. We don't even have enough to pay for our taxes. <laughs> I looked at her and said, it's not ours anyway. It belongs to the Lord. All this money is God's. He's going to pay our taxes. We're going to trust Him. That's what we're going to do. We're going to give because we, we didn't give before. Now we're going to go ahead and make some things up and take care of things. Um, 
So the following week, so that was February 9th. Now the following week on February 18th, one week later, I told you guys um, the wrong thing. It wasn't the ministry account, it was my personal finance. We had $79 in our personal bank account and we had a tithe of $73. So we wrote the tithe, $73 had six bucks in the bank. <laughs> then a couple days later, we had to pay our mortgage. So we wrote a check just big enough to pay our mortgage so we could pay our mortgage. So now we still have $6 in the bank, right? <laughs> when we wrote that check though, it was a hot check. We didn't realize that we had other expenses that came out. So we overdrafted our bank account $135, the ministry account. So I have six bucks in my account. Now get this, get this. The ministries didn't always have money, but I, if the ministry didn't have money, I would have money, right? And I would just sew into the ministry and spend all the money. <laughs> because that's what God's told me to do, you know? Uh, and so, anyway, we ended up, anyway, so we were, we were in the negative $135. And, of course, you know, Sarah's, at this point, you know, she just thinks I'm an idiot for writing $350, right? <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so she texted me on February 23rd, that was this last Friday. She said, if the ministry doesn't have $1,700 in five days, then we are done we are sunk finished close up shop she says i'm sick of this <laughs> and my response was where is your faith <laughs> as i already know for some time especially with this ministry and everything god's told me to do that without impossibility is it you know you can't have faith without impossibility and it's impossible to please god without faith and so i knew that I'm like, these are the best miracles. You know what I mean? These are the best ones. When it's absolutely, when you already have failed and then God resurrects you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Never once have we been in that type of, this is, that was the absolute worst financial situation we've ever been in. And James didn't even really know about it. I didn't tell you about it. <laughs> um, you know, and it's funny because, you know, okay, so... <laughs> Then Friday happens, we have a barracks fundraiser with a measly $288 fundraiser. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. So then James is like, oh, I got a, I got a leadership meeting when you go out there Saturday. So um, on Saturday, oh wait, before that happened. So I had a guy who had stolen $100 from us, from our ministry, and uh, a few months ago. And he had told me, uh, you know, I, I really felt like the Lord told me I needed to just go father him. I'm going to shorten the story. Um, and I told him, so when I approached him, I said, you need to pay, according to the scriptures, it says you must, a thief, when he's caught, must pay back seven times. So you need to pay me back $700. Well, he came and worked for me for two days. And so I just ended up telling him, if you give me $500, we'll, we'll call it even. All right. So Friday night, I'm laying in bed at 1130 in the evening, and I get a call from this guy. It's like, hey, man, I got my tax return in, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting you first. I want to give you that $500. I said, well, hold on, I'll be right there. <laughs> I get out of bed, put my shoes on, go down there and get the money. <laughs> and so, uh, we, so we take that money. Now, the guys at the barracks didn't know I had that money in my pocket. Um, but that was for, I was counting that towards my taxes. You know what I mean? So the $1,700, that was not including our taxes, which was $700, right? Um, so I show up uh, Saturday morning and the guys ask me, you guys ask me, you know, y'all, will you pray over the, we were going to pray, right? And I was going to let somebody else pray. And then Gilbert's like, here, Zach, why don't you pray? I said, okay. 
So I said, Lord, I thank you for $1,700. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody what it was for. I didn't tell anybody the situation. Just said a number, you know? And, um, and again, this was not figuring the $700 property taxes that we still need to raise. So the end result of the fundraisers, um, oh, well, let me, I'll just go ahead and build, do the build up. So I get a text message or a phone call at one o'clock and Gilbert says, we've raised $575. One o'clock, and they're going to be there from nine o'clock to eight. I'm like, wow. So he calls me again at like three o'clock. Hey, Zach, we've already raised $1,155 or something like that. <laughs> I was like, you kidding me? It's already the biggest fundraiser we ever had. <laughs> and then at eight o'clock, he, he's on his way home. He's like, man, we raised $1,350, which ended up being about $1,347. $1,347. And then they had a whole bag of change and added up to $54 just in coins. <laughs> Counted that money for like 45 minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I added it all up, the $288 and the 1000 okay, so after you added the, the, the cash and the coin, it ended up being $1,401. So we added the 288 together with that, and the weekend fundraisers combined added up to $1,689, which is $11 short of the $1,700 goal. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're good. Plus, we had the restitution gift of $500, so that means that we were $11 short on the $1,700 and we were $200 short on our taxes. So that night, I go home and I said, Sarah, when you said $1,700, you know, were you figuring in our paycheck? And she said, no, I did not. I said, next time, you should be more specific with your demands from God. <laughs> and I threw the paper at her with $11 short of what she said. And she said, her eyes got all big. She goes, that's the largest storefront fundraiser we've ever had. <laughs> and so we recalculated. So I sat down, we recalculated for better figures and found out that we actually needed $1,792. But then my wife said, hey, uh, I've already reimbursed some of our taxes. All we owe is $367 on our taxes. So we don't owe $700 anymore. It's only about half as much as what you said. So in actuality, what we had to raise when we actually redid our math was $2,000. $159. Okay? But we raised $2,189. <laughs> of course, then I said, hey, what about our paycheck? So we're, we have plus $30 from what, what the distressful demand was, right? We need $1,700 or we're sunk, right? Well, we got it in two days. <laughs> So uh, we punched some more numbers. We tried to figure out what do we need to raise for our family, for us to make it. Now, you have to pay, you have to give tithe, and you need to pay taxes. So we figured out what do we need, and we added the, the, the tithe and the taxes, and it came out to be $1,354. Now, of course, I sat down at Subway, took you guys out to eat, and I shared the story. Y'all didn't even know about this portion yet. Y'all just knew about that. <laughs> And, uh, and I didn't even know about the taxes being reduced, you know. Uh, so even at that point, we were, we were giving God glory for, you know, being $200 short. But uh, we all felt it. You know, Tommy goes, I think God's going to double it. I think God's going to double um, what you make today. So he, 
he said two statements. I think God's going to double what, he, what you make today, which he didn't know what we made. But he was thinking $2,000. So he had in his brain 2000 But we only made 1401 that day. All right? So keep that in mind. That was Saturday. But he said $2,000. He said, Zach, I really feel like God's going to double it. And you're going to have $4,000 before Wednesday. That's what he said. So it's funny because there's two statements he said that didn't actually line up. But what he said came true both ways. All right? So... I go to the morning service on Sunday, and I share some of the story. Of course, I don't share this portion. I just share this portion. Five minutes later, that same guy um, comes up to me and hands me a check. And I'm worshiping. I haven't looked at it yet. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, is this a $1,300 check? <laughs> I'm thinking, is this a $1,000 check? I mean, I feel it. I feel that I have this money already in my hand. What guy? I won't name him in here. Oh, you said that the same guy. The guy that I shared I, I was at service, and I was sharing the story. Oh, okay. And then we went into worship, and he walked up to me and shook my hand and gave me a check, and I, and I didn't look at it. But I was thinking to myself, I have one thousand three hundred dollars in my pocket. You know. Well, I opened it up, and it's a three hundred dollar check. And I said, "All right, thank you, God." So as soon as the service is over, another couple comes into me, and they say. Hey, we've been praying. We, we got your brochure, and we want to support your ministry. So they gave me a little deal, a little envelope. So I shared with them this testimony, right? I didn't tell them about this. I shared them with this testimony, and I, and they're like, the people were just looking at me, and they're like, "You should open up that envelope." So I said, "Okay, I'll open up the envelope." So I open up the envelope, and they now I'm trying to raise my uh, sponsorships, right? So one lady at one time wrote me a $1,200 check, and she said, this is for the whole year. So I had to take that $1,200 check and divide it up, $100 every month. So we put it in a bank account, and we just rationed it out. Does that make sense? To help us um, with our expenses. So when I opened up this envelope, there was a $1,000 check in it. And they had marked on there they were going to commit to giving to us monthly. I said, okay, so is this like... What is this? Is like, you know, spread it out throughout the whole year? He says, no, that's a one-time gift. And in April, I'm going to commit to giving you $100 a month. <laughs> I was like, okay, now i got to tell you the second half of the story, guys. This is the amount we needed to raise, $1,354. And someone gave me a $300 check, and you gave me a $1,000 check. As soon as I finished talking to that guy, someone walks up to me and gives me a $20 bill. I'm like telling him the story now. Like, look how close we are, right? Of course, at this point now, we had thirty dollars extra from the fundraiser, so I actually technically raised that money four dollars short. But that wasn't it. At the end of the service, that thirty dollars was for something else. Because at the end of the service, somebody walked up to me and gave me forty dollars cash. <laughs> wow. I had one thousand three hundred and sixty dollars, which is probably a better number anyway for what I needed. This was. All calculated, but not through QuickBooks. $1,360. All before noon. <laughs> now, this is crazy. All right, so we get the $1,360. My wife goes out in the parking lot. She we gets in the car, and she says, I said, do you realize that we have our entire paycheck raised this, this morning? <laughs> she says, well, someone else gave me a $100 bill <laughs> in the parking lot and said, here, do whatever you want with it. So, man, I haven't taken my family out to eat in a while, so I took them out to eat, and we took $49 and stuck it back over here. So, the total that we deposited into the, uh, into the payroll 
was $1,409, which is doubling our $1,401 that we made Saturday. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So at this point, we had, what is this? Sarah had told me, she said, um, if the ministry doesn't have $1,700 in five days, we're sunk. And in three days, we raised $3,598, which is $2 short of $3,600 which is three times the amount that she was saying in desperation. <laughs> then, I don't think y'all know about this. Monday morning, a friend of mine came up to me and handed me $500. And you add those together, yeah, four thousand one hundred dollars, wow. which is the amount that Tommy said we'd have before Wednesday. <laughs> and so, this was the absolute toughest, most impossible scenario I've ever been in, and it is the most glorious testimony that we've had since we started our ministry. And, uh, you know, Tommy was telling me, he says, you know, uh, <clears throat> Zach, you're such an encouragement. I'm sitting here, your faith is really helping me out. He says, because uh, that whole Saturday, I didn't bat an eye, blink, you know, I, business as usual. I gotta order some banners and we gotta get some business cards. So I, <laughs> so I'm ordering business cards and banners. <laughs> spent three hundred dollars just on banners and stuff that's gonna be you know all this reimbursed it you know what I mean in fact we spent hundred forty seven dollars just in banana bread and I spent about three hundred something dollars on uh, banners and cards so that's our five hundred dollar gift right there God's good huh so the moral of this story or the moral of this message is perseverance so I told you all that long story how, how long was that we got does it say oh 41 minutes already good night all right so let's get into some scripture okay and uh i'll try to knock this out in 15 minutes praise the lord huh <laughs> oh you know what's funny is i prayed too i said lord it's about time for a financial miracle i Kind of tired of all this, uh, all this struggling. <laughs> uh, you know, if your faith is to be frugal, then you'll live frugal. If your faith is to live bountifully, then you'll live bountifully. You know, if you depend on your ability to save money, well, then you'll live like that. You know, I'm not saying that you should just go out and blow and beat absolutely stupid you know of course when people look at the way I do money they'll think I'm stupid I mean I gave half of our bank account and then overdrafted and they'll look at me like you're just unwise Zach but I already know that there's greater wisdom that God's wisdom is higher than my wisdom and 
God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So it's not a matter of even earthly wisdom. It's a matter of what do you hear God say? You know, believe in God no matter what. I've just gotten in my spirit. I know that it's impossible for us to fail. And it's not because of anything I'm doing. It's because it's God's doing. It's God's, it's God's story. It's God's ministry. It's not my ministry. It's, it's all his. It's on him. You know what I mean? I don't have to worry about it. It's, the Lord told me, so whatever you need, Zach, get it. So it was funny. When I started giving away the money like, it wasn't, like I was going to have enough, and when I started spending the money like I was going to have enough, the money came. There's a demand. God is not, if you're going to live all re reserved and you're not going to believe God for more, why would he send more? You know? But when you start moving like, it, like it's coming, it will come. And I've seen that so many times. There's been times where I just, man, I couldn't even afford to do something and I knew that I needed to get it, so I went ahead and got it. And then the Lord provided. But it, it, I would have been that, far, that much farther back, though, if I hadn't went ahead and taken the risk. Because it's not really a risk. If you think about it, it's not a risk to trust God. It is nothing risky at all about trusting God. <laughs> He's faithful. He always comes through. Every time. Sorry. That's good. Matthew. So we're supposed to hear God's voice. You have to hear God's voice. You must hear His voice. The scripture says faith comes by hearing, not by experiencing. Anybody else who was in that my boat on this situation would have done quit already, you know? Uh, it, what I mean by that, I'm not saying like I'm special or something. What I'm saying is a lot of people don't, they don't know how to operate in that faith. You know what I mean? They're going to quit when it gets hard. But when you have a word from God, we talked about this in our teaching on courage and tenacity. Tenacity, the word means to hold on tightly, to grasp firmly. You, you hold on, you don't, you don't let go. But how can you hold on to something if you, that, that's not rooted? You know what I mean? You climb up a mountain and... Did you know that, um, that those trees that, that are on the side of cliffs and mountains are actually got the best root systems in the world? You know? Unless it's dead. Then you're in trouble. <laughs> but if it's thriving, they, their roots are going into the mountain. Because, and they're on the side of the cliff. And they're very strong. They have to be. Because they're on the side of the cliff. So they grow their roots in such a way to keep them from falling off the cliff. And you're climbing up that cliff, you grab a hold of that tree, it's going to be pretty sure. Just make sure it's not dead. It's going to, you know. <laughs> and I'm not a rock climbing expert. So anybody who's watching this video and takes my, just go, you know, I'm legal disclaimer. Don't, you know, if I'm wrong about that, I could be wrong. I'm not perfect in knowledge. So, um, hear his, <laughs> you must hear his voice. But my point is, the, um, the roots system, what are, you, what are you holding on to? It has to be rooted. Well, your faith has to be rooted too. You can't just have faith that doesn't have root. What is the root? It's the Word of God. It is the root. Do you know what my root is? The Lord spoke to me very clear words when I started this ministry. Zach, 
You're going into business with me. Whatever you need, I'll get it. That's very clear. Zach, candy pecans don't pay your bills. Monthly sponsors don't pay your bills. I pay your bills, Zach. Very clear words. Rooted. Why, why can I hold on firmly? Because I have conviction. I'm fully persuaded. I'm fully persuaded in the word that I've heard from God. So I don't ever let go. You know? I can't let go. It's in me. You know? Uh, so what I, when I say not everyone, you know, not, uh, nobody else would do this, they wouldn't do it because they don't have the word. Does that make sense? They don't have the root. What is your, what, is, what is your, what are you holding on to? Nobody would be able to do, this is why when people start trying to do our ministry and they're not called to do it, they leave. Because they don't got a word. They just think it's a cool idea. Yeah, I want to help out with the barracks. No, you don't. Are you sure you want to help out with the barracks? It will rip you apart. <laughs> so people it's a noble calling to be serving in the barracks if God has told you to come and be a part of the barracks and be as a leader and help and serve you better you better pull up your big boy pants <laughs> it is no joke you know so but I've seen people we, we try to scare people away if somebody wants to say, they, I want to serve in the ministry, we just try to scare them away. We remember sitting down with a certain particular individual, and they're like, yeah, I want to serve in the ministry. I, and we sat down, and James said, no, you don't. <laughs> James is super hard. He's like, this is the worst place to ever work. You'll never love it. You'll always hate it. <laughs> or something like that. I'm not quoting him verbatim. It's, it's almost verbatim. It's really close. <laughs> really close. <laughs> James says it's really close. <laughs> uh... I mean, we tried to scare this guy away, you know. And the guy started helping out in the ministry and and it ate his lunch. And James was right. <laughs> it ate his lunch, you know, because he thought it was a good idea. He's oh man, this would be great. No, it's no, you gotta hear God. Same thing for coming to the program. You have to have a conviction to be here. This is hard to even be in the program. You know what I mean? Um, but anytime you do anything for God, it's going to be impossible. Let's say this again. When God tells you to do something, it's going to require faith. You know that they talk about this? God's never going to take you places that you can't handle. You know people say that? And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he will not allow you to be tempted more than you can handle, which means it's talking about sin. But God always takes you to a place that you cannot handle. Always. Every freaking time. If you don't go to a place you can't handle, then how are you going to lean into him? How are you going to trust in Him? God, when God um, wants to do um, a work in your life, He doesn't want you to get credit for it. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about Him. And I can clearly say that I am not making this ministry work. It is. I can clearly say without God, we would sink. We've gotten there. We've gotten to the point where we nearly sank, you know? But I feel like Gideon. I've said this many times. I feel like Gideon. The Lord said, he says, your army is too big for me to get glory. <laughs> Lest they say that it was by your might that you won. 
So you dwindles him down. I don't know how many people were in his army. I forget. But it got down to like 300 versus thousands of people. And they won the battle. You know? God always takes us to our Pi Hiroth. I mentioned this in the last message. Pi Hiroth. This is the place that we get trapped. This is the hemmed in place in the desert. This is the place we can't get out. This is where the Egyptians come and the sea is in front of us and we can't go anywhere. We are trapped and it looks impossible. And God says, I will fight your battles for you. It's good stuff. Matthew chapter 25. Oh, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong, wrong notes. Okay, Luke chapter 18. So again, this, this, this whole story I'm telling you completely demolishes the concept of God's timing, the concept of God's will. It has everything to do with faith and perseverance. Not God's timing and God's will. Look, God's will is that I prosper. But I had a negative $135 in my bank account. And you want to look at that and say, are we prospering? I would say we're prospering when a week later we get $4,000 in three days. <laughs> we're, that's prospering, you know? You, you can't... Prospering doesn't mean that you have all the money. Prosperity means that you're linked up to the one that does. My parents have a bank account. And when I was a kid, I had a bank account. And they were linked together. And I wouldn't have any money. But if I ever needed something, they'd just transfer the money over. Easy peasy. They had plenty of money. I had nothing. But what's prosperity? Me having money or me being linked up to the one who does? Every time. Just, oh, oh, you need some money? Here, we'll just transfer some money over. That's when I was in high school. You know? There's... Prosperity doesn't mean that you necessarily have it. It means that you have access to it. And we have access to it. And it's not even about money. What's the point of having money if you're grumpy all the time? Prosperity comes from the mind. Scripture says, I pray that, you're, that you prosper as your soul prospers. So what good is it having prosperity in the body when you have no prosperity in your mind? And you're just depressed and disappointed in, in your life. You know what I mean? Prosperity is much greater than just physical. Luke chapter 18, verse 35 through 43. We'll write the scripture up here for you. I'll erase all this. Tenacity. We've got to have that tenacity. We can't, we can't give up. We have to hold on tight. But how can you hold on tight if you don't have something to hold on to? And how can you hold on to something without conviction? You have to have conviction. You can't have conviction without a word from God. You can't have, see, you can't have faith without a word. Faith does not exist without something being rooted. Luke chapter 18. Verse 35. So then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by. He asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should quiet, be quiet. But he cried out all the more. Son of David! I think he got louder. More, bo more boisterous. You know? That's how we should operate in faith. Whenever you start meeting resistance in what you're believing God for, get louder. Don't back down. Don't 
Go in your corner and say, yeah, I guess God doesn't really care about me. <laughs> That's the opposite approach. In fact, that was when my wife texted me. She said, um, I'm sick of this. I said, That's the improper response. That's what I told her. That wrong response. Well, it just, and she said something else along the lines of, Well, it's just so difficult. And, you know, da da da. I said, Wrong response. The Bible says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in all things bring your, bring your needs to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's my favorite part. With thanksgiving, that's the proper response. Oh, so I got a problem, and you're going to start getting anxious about it. Be thankful. Why should you be thankful? Because you, ac you have access to the miracle. You should be thankful. That's why I really believe that whenever Paul was like, hey, when you be, be considerate and joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of many kind. Why? Because Paul knew that God was going to have to come up with some supernatural act to get him through what he was going through. So I get excited when, I, when somebody tells me, well, you got to move out of the, the barracks over here at the camp in two weeks. I start laughing. Everybody else looks like me like I'm a loon. But I'm laughing. I'm not, it's inside of me. Like, I couldn't help it. I'm, I'm laughing. I can't. I got to find a new place in two weeks. It's so awesome. Everybody's like, Zach, what's wrong with you? Are you, are you crazy? Are you nuts? You know? I remember when we, when we were on 4th Street and they had to get a new place. I'm laughing. I'm like, God's going to give us 100 acres. All I could see was the promise. <laughs> you can ask these guys. Yeah, we got to move out in two weeks. I remember Tony was over there making candy pecans. He's like fretting about... You know, his family and all his stresses at home and everything. I said, hold on a minute. Let me just tell you a little bit about my stresses. And I said, we have to move out of this place in two weeks. And James goes, two weeks? You tell me two weeks. You told me how to move. <laughs> and I started laughing. I was like, God's going to give us 100 acres. And when we moved to a place that had over 100 acres. <laughs> and I think it's a type and shadow of what God's going to give us. I believe we're going to have our own 100 acres. But we literally moved to a place that had over 100 acres after I said that. I, man, I didn't even really think about that until just now. Oh my goodness, dude. Laughing. we got to laugh. We have to... Have you, it's like my little two-year-old. If he was to come up to me and say, I'm going to beat you up. He would laugh. Because it's just so cute. That's how we should look at our problems. Oh, those are so cute. You know? I can't take you seriously, Josiah. You're just a little, little three-year-old. Well, how old is he? Three-year-old. My little boy. He comes up there with his big sword and his lightsaber like he wants to beat something up. You can't even take him seriously. It's a joke. That's how we should look at our problems. They're a joke. <laughs> They're a joke. It's like, are you serious? You are serious. Oh, I'm sorry for laughing. That's what <laughs> All right, sorry. All right, so he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. So he didn't allow the crowd. See, this is what I, I believe. I believe that this is, a, I believe, the same guy, Bartimaeus, okay? Yeah, this is Bartimaeus, because another, another um, gospel says it's the same story with Bar Bartimaeus, okay? I believe. Again, I'm not perfect acknowledging. I have Google here, so I could look it up if I wanted to. But y'all can do your own homework, okay? Bartimaeus, he was a blind guy. Son of David, have mercy on me, okay? And I believe that he was already dealing with the doubt and unbelief before he ever came, before Jesus ever came. 
before Jesus ever came. You, you have to understand, he couldn't see nothing, right? All he could do was hear, right? So, he probably heard about Jesus, you know? Jesus was healing other blind people, and lepers, and casting out demons. And you can imagine, first of all, he says, who is it? And he heard it was Jesus. And then, he already had knowledge about Jesus. Jesus, son of David! He knew, he knew where he came from. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he knew that he could have mercy on him. Jesus, he understood something about Jesus that this boy already knew about Jesus. He already heard about Jesus. He heard about Jesus. And I can imagine him sitting there in his thoughts. They're being blind, begging for money. Just in his thoughts all the time, you know. Man, if Jesus, I heard Jesus. Jesus could heal blind people. You can imagine him going through these thought processes. Why was he so? Why did he? Um, why did he give the the, the in, in a sense the, the crowd a stiff arm? You know what I mean? Like back off me! I'm going to get my miracle. Why could he do that to them? Why could he resist the outside voices? I believe because he already had wrestled with the inside voice. He was already sure. I think whenever he heard about Jesus, he said, "Man, I wonder if I wonder if I could get healed if Jesus came here." I wonder if he thought to himself, I wish Jesus would come to my town, Jericho. Think about this. Jesus is making around. I hope, I wish Jesus would come to my town. Imagine the devil coming to, to, to Bartimaeus and saying, Jesus isn't going to come to Jericho. And if Jesus came to Jericho, why would, he, why would he come to you? Think about the thoughts, you know. Oh, it's too, it would never happen for me. These are the thoughts. That he, I'm, I know he had these thoughts. Every believer struggles with doubt and unbelief. Every believer has to wrestle with doubt and unbelief. The only ones that you see overcome in faith are the ones that won over doubt and unbelief. Every believer, I'm going to say this again, every believer has to wrestle with doubt and unbelief. There isn't one person in the scripture that didn't have to wrestle with doubt and unbelief and there isn't, you, that's why the Bible says, and Abraham believed against all hope. He hoped against all hope. Real quick, let's go over to Romans chapter 4. Hold your finger in Luke. Romans chapter 4. One of my favorite passages. <clears throat> Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Right, actually, let's go over here to Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, talking to Abraham, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We're talking about the God who makes things become that were not. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told so shall your offspring be. Watch this. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. So Abraham had to consider his own body. When he heard the word of God, first thing he thought about was his body. My body is going to have a baby? Me? I'm old. These are the things he thought. But it says he did not weaken in faith when he considered. That means he considered. That means he thought about. He brought into the equation, well, what about my body? But he didn't weaken faith. Which was as good as dead. Considered his body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Did you know he had six more children 
with another woman named Katira after Sarah died. Or four, four or six more children. I can't remember. He had a few more kids. And he was over 100. He was like 130. Because <laughs> uh, I think uh, Sarah died at around 127. Something like that. <laughs> What's this? No, verse 12, verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. Watch this. No unbelief. It's so good. No unbelief made his waver. That means he had unbelief. He had unbelief, but he did not allow his unbelief to cause him to waver. Unbelief is a voice that you have to tell to shut up. It's the bully in the room that belittles your faith. You have to punch him in the nose. How do you punch him in the nose? How do you punch your book? I'm going to write this down. Unbelief or doubt. Unbelief is a bully and he has a nickname named Doubt. And when he comes in the room, he likes to belittle your faith. You get rid of a bully by punching him in the nose or loving him, but we're, gonna, we're talking about in the world, okay? <laughs> Punch him in the nose. How? He grew strong in his faith. He wasn't belittled, but his faith increased when he gave glory to God. How do you overcome your unbelief? You give glory to God. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced that he was, God was able to do what he had promised. Not just able. Like many people say, well, I know God can do miracles, but he's not going to do them. That's not being fully convinced. That's good stuff. Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus st uh, stood still and so he had to overcome these doubts in his mind before Jesus ever came into town. So when Jesus came into town, he already made it up in his mind. If Jesus comes to town, I'm going to get healed. He made up his mind, fully convinced. He already sat down on the, on, the, on the road, wrestling with his mind, wrestling with the devil. Jesus wouldn't come to you. Yes, he will. Jesus is going to come to this town. When, if Jesus comes to this town, I am going to get healed. He made up his mind. And he knew, I ain't going to miss this chance. When he comes into town, I'm going to scream the top of my lungs. Because, you know, he couldn't see him. He didn't know if Jesus was five feet in front of him or if he was 100 yards away. He's yelling to the top of his voice, Jesus! That's what we call a growth mindset. <laughs> Not a fixed mindset. You know, that's a modern, that's a worldly term, but we use it here at the barracks. <laughs> Growth mindsets, dude. Never let excuses get in your way to overcome and, and problem solve. So then Jesus stood still and commanded, to be, commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He says, Lord, I, that I may receive my sight. He says, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. 
Very profound here. Jesus didn't even pray for him. Jesus didn't even lay hands on him. Jesus didn't spit in his eye. Jesus didn't command the blindness to go. He, he said, he said, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. So good. Jesus didn't have to have faith with this man. This man had already overcome all of his doubt. And he pushed through the crowd. He didn't allow any of his circumstance. He didn't allow people to stop him. He didn't allow his physical uh, abilities to stop him. He said, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. And he told them a parable in effect. So while Jesus never talked about God's timing, he did talk about perseverance. He talked about faith, unbelief, and perseverance. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect. I'm going to write this down. Luke chapter 18. Oh, that's interesting. The same chapter. I just noticed that. Luke 18, verse 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the fact that they, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city that kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet this woman keeps bothering me. I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Again, God's timing. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's so funny. That's not funny. Serious. Interesting. When I say funny, I mean interesting. Jesus was, he knew. There would be a time when people would bank on all kinds of doctrines and stuff instead of faith, instead of really believing what he said. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20, And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the earth, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. The spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I believe that it wasn't just that they had authority. What qualified them to have authority was the fact that their names were written in heaven. And that's why they could cast the demons out. The Bible says in one of the Corinthians letters, I believe, it says that we will judge angels. So there's, we've been given authority when we were in Christ. Acts chapter 14, verse 19 through 20. Then the Jews from Antioch and Ichim, it says, uh, talking about, we're talking about perseverance, never giving up, no matter what happens to you. So the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and gave, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby, and it says he continued preaching. <laughs> Romans 9, 30-33. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law. Uh, well, I don't know why I'm reading this. That's pretty much it. So, perseverance is faith. We have to have faith. We have to have perseverance. Um, and I believe oftentimes we come up with doctrines that let us give up too easily. And that's why I believe the doctrine of God's timing and God's will have come into play. It's a it's a shortcut for people to have a facade of faith. 
Well, I have faith. They have faith in God's timing. You see what I'm saying? But they don't. But they skip the rest of the word of God. It says you shall be healed. You know, they got bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Who heals all? Who who forgives all of your sins? How many sins has Jesus forgiven of you? How many sins have you been forgiven of? All of them, right? Every sin. Who bless the Lord? Psalm 103. Let's just go over there. It's really good. I'm going to read this, and then this will be the last thing we read. We'll close out. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. I remember reading, singing that in the Baptist church. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. But then they don't sing the rest of the chapter. bless the Lord of all my soul and forget not all his benefits I think that's our major problem we've forgotten all of the benefits people want to say well I'm here to suffer for Jesus I'm picking up my cross and following him first of all that means that you die to yourself every day but that doesn't mean you're destined to be beat down forever Jesus got off his freaking cross that's the second half of the story yeah, we're going to suffer for Jesus. Yes, we're going to suffer for Jesus. I, I've suffered for Jesus plenty of times. But you know what? It wasn't through cancer or sickness. It was through persecution for me standing up for what was right. It was me going through financial hardship for doing what was right. You see what I'm saying? The Bible says, blessed are you when you go through trials of many kinds but it says uh, Jesus says blessed are you when you're being persecuted for righteousness sake and then everybody wants to say that you know their car broke down because of it was the devil and I'm not saying that's not the devil I'm just saying what are you doing for the kingdom of God like what makes you think you're being persecuted I'm sorry that might be harsh <laughs> you know but people say well I'm just being persecuted no sometimes you just reap what you sow Sometimes you reap what you sow, and then sometimes when you're really making a difference with the kingdom of God, the devil will throw all of his chariots at you, and he'll come after you. That will happen. If you start following God, so that's another thing people think, well, man, I start following God, and all hell broke loose in my life. That's, what, that's just what happens every time. You start following God. That's why I try to warn people, look, don't try to follow Jesus unless you're ready to fight. You know? Be ready. You know, following Jesus isn't for... Wimps. And for puny people, right? Faith ain't for the faint-hearted. <laughs> Faith ain't for the faint-hearted. Alright, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for getting out all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. Every sin. Every sin. I love it. I, I, it boggles my mind that there's groups of people that believe God forgives all of your sins, and then they skip this, the second half of the verse. <laughs> and heals all your diseases. All. And we so we got this down, man, in the churches. The groups, certain groups of people, like Jesus forget that God forgave all of your sins. Every one of them. They I mean they'll preach it to till they run out of breath. But they will completely avoid the next one. Who heals all your diseases? Every last one of them. As surely as God wants to forgive all of your sins, 
He also wants to heal all of your diseases. It's a matter of faith. You know why we get, healed, we get forgiven of our sins? Because we believe. We believe that God's going to forgive us of our sins. We put our faith in Jesus and the fact that He paid the penalty for our sins. The problem is we don't believe that same penalty He paid also included our sicknesses. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of God. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the, as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust as for man his days are like grass he flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over and it's gone and its place knows it no more but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments in Jesus Christ We've kept all of the commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdoms rule over all. But the Lord, O oh, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word, bless the Lord all His hosts, His ministers who do His will, bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul. God is good. And when we so bountifully we reap bountifully the word of god trumps all of our experiences the word of god trumps all of our doctrines we got to throw our doctrines out we got to submit to the word of god we got to let the word of god transform our thinking not let our thinking try to transform the word of god and we got to read what's really there and we got to swallow it all every bit of it all the word of god every bit of it belongs to us we must take it we must eat it we must consume it and we must let it take work in our lives. And some things are hard to swallow, you know. But it's all true. And we have to let the Scripture interpret Scripture. We have to let the Word of God balance out the Word of God. Not let our experiences ever, 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 ever let our experiences dictate our faith. You know? Faith, I say this, faith moves the mountain. The mountain should not be moving your faith. If you believed that your faith would literally move the mountain. Why would you ever be intimidated by the mountain? Hey, Amen. thank you for watching and listening to this message. Be sure to hit the like button, share it to your friends, and subscribe to our channel for more content every single week. And if you haven't yet, be sure to visit our website at bombzs.com. We have a lot of content there and a lot of things that are absolutely free. So be sure to utilize us as much as possible. We hope that you were blessed by this message. Till next time, have a blessed day.